This is Unspoken. We are the real Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. My name is Donna, and along with Dan, we reminisce, sometimes say things that you thought shouldn't be said, but really, they need to be said. On this episode, we talk about Dan's love for cigars and why now I love them too. Our love for whiskey and coffee, a bit about growing up in the 80s and 90s, coming from conservative families and the church, also a sneak preview into how we knew each other as kids, but met again for the first time after many years. When I first re-met you after, I think we've said almost 25 years, you had a cigar in your hand. And I had really not known anybody firsthand or very personally who was a smoker. We all know smokers, right? But not really personally and definitely not a whole lot I knew about cigars. So I quickly became pretty curious as to how you got started on cigars and smoking and the the level of importance that that had in your life. I had a lot to learn in that. So I was curious to hear from you when you started smoking cigars and, and what it means to you even now. Well, first of all, you do know that I was trying to lay low when it comes to uh, you seeing me smoke out of respect. I actually was across the street for over an hour smoking a cigar. Actually, it's similar to the one I have right here in my hand. It's a brick house. And I sat for an hour smoking that cigar while I was waiting for you to play. Right. So to set that scene a little bit better, we had known each other when we were teens and I had a couple of different jobs, but one was I worked at at Shopco in Spokane Valley and we had known each other from attending the same church. You had had interactions with my dad. He was a mentor to you in a lot of ways. And we spent a little bit of time in our teens getting to know one another a bit, but there had been after that, our lives took different paths and it had been nearly 25 years since seeing each other in any way, shape or form, social media or otherwise, since seeing each other or knowing each other at all. So I like to talk about, sometimes I reference when I met you and I'm talking about far more recently. Our second meeting. Yeah. Uh huh. So you're laying low and yeah, I would say that that seeing you the guitar or the uh, cigar was not thinking guitar because I was playing I was playing guitar the cigar was not front and center no I had it down on my side and it was something that I noticed but it it was intriguing because I wouldn't have thought this about myself but it was not in an off-putting kind of way and I remembered that then about you it may or may not have been written into a song but So when did you start smoking? A long, long time ago. Longer than when I haven't been smoking. But who was the first person that you knew that was a cigar smoker? Because I think for some of us, that's an, it it were influenced by somebody or something. John Wayne, Clint Eastwood. Interestingly enough, my dad actually smoked cigars all while I was growing up. I just didn't know it. Because my mom was dead set against smoking and my dad could not indulge in smoking sticks when he was around us. So he he did it at work back when you could do that out in the mills. 
And I found, I, I remember as, as, I don't know, a young teen finding a cigar in his truck and I was completely shattered. Oh man, my dad's a smoker. Yeah, funny how as kids, our parents are able for a while on certain things to keep them from us. And so we, we hold them in very high esteem. And then you find out little bit bits of their humanness along the way as you grow up. <laughs> and right. to think that that was shattering to you. So how old, do you remember how old oh, you were? I must have been 13, 14 years old. So, you know, I was part of that age where the age group time you and I both were the what were they the old PSAs something to think about you know everything was about cancer everything's going to cause cancer so and of course combine that with evangelical mothers and don't drink don't chew and I don't go with girls that do yeah we were definitely a a non-smoking non-drinking family growing up in very conservative Baptist circles eventually became non-denominational, but yeah. That secret for Baptist. <laughs> we all know. Right. Well, I, I started actually smoking for the first time when I was 19. And interestingly enough, I had just come back from, I was a union apprentice carpenter. And I was traveling around working with a lot of really manly, tough men, capable, dangerous men. And some not so smart men. And I was the guy on the crew that did not smoke. I was 19 years old. When I got laid off from that job, right before Thanksgiving, it was November, it was cold. I drove this old 63 Ford pickup truck with a 292. And I decided for some odd reason that that would be a great time to learn how to smoke cigars. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to learn, but I'm, I'm just going to pull it off, right? Like James Dean, like John Wayne. Seems so, simple enough. So, I mean, uh, look, there's, there's fine tobacco shops, cigar shops all over Spokane, but I found the easiest way to access them was the local uh, quick stop service station down the road at Chevron. And they had these uh, little box cigars. You know, they come, they look like ink pen size, come five to a box. And so I bought the William pens because those look to be the most patriotic, you know, William Penn, brotherly love, Philadelphia, yeah, you know, probably, yeah. And look dignified. probably. So I bought a box of those and, uh, went out to my truck and I think they even had tips on them. If I don't, re if I, if I remember correctly, I didn't have to clip the end of it. And I put a big lighter to it and about lit my tonsil on fire as I was uh, driving that old stick shift down the road. So over time, and I'm talking about mm, an hour or two, I'd smoke through that box and wasn't very successful, felt a little sick. And a couple days later, tried it again. This time I, I went with the Outlaw by Swisher Sweets. They had the Cowboys on it. They looked a little more more like a cowboy smoke, you know. So, But it was cold by this time. I mean, we're talking about, I couldn't smoke it at my house, not even outside. That would be a certain death. Um, a that, death, that death by mother. A, a, and, and you know what that, that entails, that the lecture that never ends. Uh, so I remember that, that a little ways away from home by the old U city mall, which is no longer there. They had this IHOP restaurant. I think it's a brewery now or something, maybe a car lot. But uh, uh, during those times you could actually go inside and they had a smoking and a non-smoking side. You walk through the door and the little house was split in half because you remember they looked like a big A-frame house. And to the right was the no smoking in the bathrooms, which was funny, 
if you think about it, because you have to, if you're not a smoker, you have to walk through the smoke. You got to cross through. And to the left was where all the righteous people were that uh, didn't smoke. So I walk in this one morning, I was laid off, had some time on my hands, immediately turned to the right section. And I felt like I was walking into an adult bookstore, right? Not that I've walked into an adult bookstore, but I think we all know it, what I mean. And there was only one other lady inside the smoking section. And I was all of a sudden, to my, I guess, surprise and shock, I was during the headlights locked up, vapor locked, because here is this lady that I had recognized to be a former elder's wife. And she had a Virginia Slim out of her mouth as she was sitting in her booth. And she looked at me. And I looked at her and I almost turned around. Then I thought to myself, well, wait a second. Why is she smoking? <laughs> I bet you she won't say anything about me. So we gave each other the nod and I went and sat down and I chain smoked those outlaws, made myself sick, had a blueberry pancake and the rest is history. <laughs> oh. What, you didn't have the Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity? You know, I don't think I could even have enjoyed it because of the amount of nicotine. And and by the way, you know that those store-bought box cigars, even the ones that look like cowboy cigars, are all chemicals. They're not even the real tobacco. They're uh, machine-rolled, and they're just... I wouldn't give one to my dog. So, between then and now, you've had a lot of years of experience with this. And, and I want to know, from the... From your perspective of being a dad and a business owner and having been through some really tough things in your life, what is a, the experience of smoking cigars? I mean, one, you know you're more discerning on what you're picking, picking out, what you're smoking, your knowledge of how they're rolled, and, and you know what you like. What does it mean for you now when you're having a cigar throughout your day or sitting down in the evening with one? serenity it's that peace it's it's calming down it's a time to sit reflect have good conversation with you with the kids with a friend maybe even a stranger and oftentimes it's to the sound of quietness it's time to to reflect and to gather my thoughts and that's something that i learned from you smoking cigars was completely foreign to me i had never puffed a cigarette. I mean, I always had my curiosities, but was never really drawn to it. Surprisingly, when I learned that you smoked them, I became curious about it and was not opposed to trying. And as we continued in our relationship, I realized that one thing I wanted to make an effort toward was to learn the things that you knew, to be a part of the things that you loved. And learning from you that you really can't ever be in a hurry and sit down and and clip and light a cigar and smoke. So by nature of what it is, it slows you down. And we've had so many good conversations over cigars. Some of the best. And I'm smoking cigars. I can't believe it. Right. Your mother. Can you imagine what your mother would say if she saw you now? Oh, well, we already know what she has said, but yes, I'm, she's, she's proud. Tobacco for cigars is a natural product. They take the leaves, the tobacco leaves, they're grown predominantly South America, the Caribbean, and you know other parts of the world, but that's primarily where we get our stock. 
the Cubans back when you could get those readily before the embargo. But it's it's leaves that are harvested and they are dried for X amount of time. And then eventually the, the tobacconist will come back and cut the tobacco up and sort it and mix it and roll them and eventually become... Uh, they will make up their their different flavor and their brand of whatever cigar you're smoking, whether it's a light uh, Connecticut leaf or a dark Maduro. So really the difference between cigarettes and vaping and everything else is that tobacco from a cigar is is pure. It's just nicotine. It's just tobacco. Whereas cigarettes have chemicals added to the tobacco that helps give you the high. Well, you've got people, especially in, in Christian circles, the way that we grew up where, I mean, it was kind of one of the, one of the seven deadly sins, let's face it, that in the, in the Christian community now, though, people are, for whatever all the cultural reasons are, <laughs> they're right. far more accepting of that sort of thing. So I guess you find yourself explaining it a whole lot less, but really... From a health standpoint, they are very different from from what happens when you smoke a cigarette. Everything a cigarette. has a risk. Everything has a risk. I mean, I've known people that have come down with lung cancer that never smoked a day in their life. I know I knew an old timer that was 110 years old that smoked, I don't know, I think he said it was close to 12 cigars every single day. Um, you know, it's it's... Everything's in moderation. It's what whatever the spirit prompts you. If he's giving you that warning, hey, don't do something, then don't do it. But also, I don't flaunt it. I mean, it's not it's not as if I go to a gathering with one hanging out of my mouth when I know that I might be around people who could be offended by it, right? Well, offended or even just bothered. I think some of it, it's funny because the things that that back in the day we would say from from a conservative or Christian standpoint, you find offense to, you learn some of that is knowing social graces, right? Exactly. If people are bothered by something, you can choose not to. But I have so many few friends that I think the handful of friends that I have, <laughs> <laughs> they're offended if I don't walk in with a cigar. I'm thinking of G. Right. I mean, G, before he met me, I think he, he smoked cigarettes when he was in the Air Force back in the early 80s. And, and, and Petra, when she found out that he was smoking cigars with me, she was not happy. And now she accepts it. I mean, you know, because G wants to do what G's going to do. But it's hilarious to me. Uh, 15 years ago, whenever I would go out to visit the cruise, my work cruise. And G is your your but, now business partner. Well, he's look, partner. he's my brother. And, he's my best yes. friend. I mean, if yes. a man can have a best friend, he, he's my brother. But when I first started going out to visit the cruise, I would always light up a cigar before I'd go out and talk with them. And, you know, at, at the beginning, guys would look at you like, well, what's going on? And I had a lot of fundamental uh, Christians that work for me. When I say fundamental, I'm not meaning it from the way the liberals say it, the communists say it, but I mean, they were very traditional uh, and very legalistic about certain things. So they would look at me, you know, pretty funny uh, out of the side of their eyes. But now my, I, I think just about the entire crew will will stop and we'll all grab sticks and light them up and have great conversations. 
having that communication up and down the chain of, of command is crucial for for the camaraderie and the overall um you know the 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 cohesion of of our group so yeah cigars have a lot of bonding um principles not i don't principles probably isn't the correct word characteristics maybe mm-hmm. you're you're the linguist great word i'm a dumb carpenter i remember I, I was just sipping on my i think it's a what is this that right there is jameson orange That's brand right. new yeah love it caught me in the middle there mm-hmm. but um one thing that goes so cigars and whiskey are good <laughs> and we're having a little bit of that tonight but another thing that goes really well with cigars that i've i've seen your the the duos that you've created is coffee mm-hmm. and you and i have talked a lot about the evolution of the the going to to get coffee in in the late 80s early 90s versus the experience at at coffee shops that bring you up to cafes, greasy spoons. Uh, I I didn't even go to a Starbucks until I think 2004, 2005. I don't think I even knew what one was before that. My dad would take me every, it was like once a week. My mom had some function that she would go to. I was homeschooled. And so my dad worked, uh, um, 21 shifts so one week he'd work days or one week days the next week swing the next graveyard so the weeks that he was not working days and my mom was at these meetings with my brother and sister who were younger than I my dad would take me out to the old apple barrel used to be an old Sambo's restaurant out in the Spokane Valley and we would sit down at uh, one of the booths and they'd bring those old vacuum pots remember they'd they place on the table and the old brown ceramic mugs with the little, little creamers, individual creamers. And I was eight years old and my dad was really uh, adamant about having conversations with me at these young ages about responsibility and honor. And one of the things that he would talk about is, you know, honorable men drink coffee. Right. And so was he writing his own scripture? Right. Our our moms did that too. And so he would give me a lesson about knives, you know, and I had to earn with this responsible behavior that I, that I had to exhibit for X amount of time would earn me a pocket knife that I could pick out from the white elephant. Do you remember that? Do you remember the white elephant? I do. Yeah, I do. So it was during these conversations that we would sit down and we would drink coffee together. So I was eight years old the first time I started drinking coffee. And really from there, I always drank coffee. I don't remember really too much of a time after that, that I didn't drink coffee. As you went into teens or adulthood, you're more independent. Well, you were saying you remember, don't remember the first Starbucks until the earlier 2000s. I remember the first the drive-through coffee stands. Sure. Probably that had to be um in the mid 90s. Yeah, I think you're 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 right. And there was one on on one of the roads in our area on Argon Vic- that people know in our area. Well, I think you're thinking of the one on Pines. Well, Vic- there, Victoria's Espresso. You no, know, and then there was one I I'm not going to Maybe know one the closer name of it. where you used to yeah. live. Yep. Yeah. And but I remember thinking this is a fad. Mm. Wasn't that Jacob's, I think. Jacob's coffee. <laughs> well, this is a fad. Mm-hmm. 
that because I did I wasn't a coffee drinker till later on. Weird. In the fa- in fact, in one of my jobs in radio, that so the my title sounded very important. I was some kind of production something or the other. It sounded somewhat important, but uh, for the actual morning drive hosts, I was asked to make coffee, and I was completely I. I did not know how to make a pot of coffee. <laughs> so, Shocking. <laughs> which, which coming to now, I don't go a day without drinking coffee. But yeah, I was I was one of those in the mid '90s that thought the drive-through coffee stands were a fad, and those were never going to stay around. And now here we are. Coffee capital of the world. I remember that we would camp a lot when I was when I was a kid. My my dad would and mom would take every spare weekend, and we'd get inside that old truck and camper and we'd go up to uh, the lakes in Idaho and we would camp out the campgrounds and we would make camp coffee in the old percolators. You remember those? So here you'd have to get up early and early, you know, you're so cold. You don't want to stay in bed because you might as well get up and move around. So nine, 10 years old, I'm out there making a fire and getting it going so that I could put the coffee pot on. And so there was percolator coffee and you've never had coffee until you've had camp percolator coffee because it's semi-burnt get the grounds but i i love it to this day and then you know we would we would drink coffee at home and we didn't do any of the french press or anything that we you and i enjoy now however my dad who was a millwright would from time to time go to this little french croissant shop out in the spokane valley and he would get their special espresso coffee. And during that, those years, the early 80s, I had no idea what French coffee was. So he found a used espresso maker, small tabletop one. And he must have paid like two or $300 at the time, which was a fortune. And you remember, I think it was Gavalia coffee it was always in all the archaeology magazines you know you order it and and they'd ship it to you and it was gourmet coffee so he would make when they had special guests over and of course we were kicked down to our rooms and and told to go to bed but he would make the special coffee in the little small little cups little the little espresso cups that was heavy heavy thick espresso Mm -hmm. yeah oh and if you wanted a good cup of coffee in spokane you would go to one of the higher star hotels because they always had good coffee. So yeah, coffee was something that was ritualistic in my family. And I think that, um, you know, part of my growing up was, was always centered around early mornings and coffee and early mornings just go together. And I even think about the old Mel's bakery when I was finally old enough to go hike for a couple miles in the morning by myself i would get up i don't know four thirty, five o'clock go down to the local donut donut hole and all the old timers would be in there i'd get my donuts and drink the god-awful coffee that they made and you dump enough powdered creamer in it and it was all good <laughs> so how is that because it was that sometime in the 80s that mm-hmm. you were walking down and and yeah having coffee there and with the old timers. How is the experience at a a coffee shop now different from those memories you have as a kid? Well, I think community is gone. Uh, If you walk into a Starbucks today, which I've frequented a lot, 
you find people sitting around with their headphones on and they're usually minding their own business, right? Don't, don't talk to me, leave me alone, which look, I dig, I love that. But what's lost is the, the people that were in those coffee shops early morning back in the eighties were your old timers, the world war two, the greatest generation guys that were always up early, or you would have uh, tradesmen, people that worked with their hands, the salt of the earth. So we didn't have social media. We had no computers, didn't even really know what they were other than Star Trek or Star Wars. So you had the newspaper and everybody would share the newspaper and the discussions would ensue about an event that took place. And we would discuss what we read in the paper or what was happening with somebody's family. But it was community and you just learn to enjoy seeing the same people every morning. Today, it's more sterile and a lot more expensive, I might add. It's not very commonplace that you take cigars into church. And, you know, we've alluded to the fact that we both grew up in the church. For me, Baptist background, non-denominational, which is has a lot of influences there. It's Baptist. Baptist. Uh, we don't take cigars into church even now. It's not very commonplace. I, I know there are gatherings that right. do. They're accepting of everything. Gene Scott out of Hollywood. But we, but what we do, what many people do, and is very acceptable, is to bring your coffee into church. Yes, which I do. <laughs> so I'm not complaining. When did that start? I that think wasn't uh, a thing. actually, I think it happened during the seeker friendly movement. You, you know, the hmm, late '90s. When everybody was trying to put a church cafe in, remember That's right. those? That's right. Because I remember working with Ray Everly and Bill Oliver, two old cowboys who were deacons and an elder, and they were in charge of the coffee ministry, which was basically go down, get the old Chase Sanborn coffee grounds, fill up those big old banquet pots, right? And it was on a little cart. Pushed to the side of the outer foyer, and they had the old solo styrofoam cups. Did it have the the paper handles that were flat against the cup, and then mm -hmm. you could pull them back, and now you no, have No, with the wing ears? No. Oh. No, and, but do you remember the old plastic half cups you would take? They're, uh, they're because plastic. that part yeah. was reusable, right, but right, then right, the cup right. inside, you could, it's yep. like, yeah, look at this handy thing. So... You know, that was the coffee that we drank back in the day. And nobody ever dared think about bringing them into the actual sanctuary. That yes, was forbidden. That's what no. I was going to say is there was coffee and it's like, well, we'll have it in a pre-service gathering or it's in the fellowship hall afterward. But right. you didn't dare cross the threshold no. with the coffee. No. Well, when they made these coffee booths and they brought in, at first it was pretty i think straightforward they would have i don't even think they had an espresso maker at the time i think it was here's your coffee and you know we'll buy it for a quarter or we'll give it to you or however it worked but then there was a real big phase in the early 2000s where everybody started putting in their own espresso bars and it, i thought it was hilarious right because you're going to go and support some ministries, so you buy a, a latte for two bucks, and you have people floating around outside of the sanctuary taking orders, and all these teenage kids that want to go to, you know, Borneo or someplace like that would would be on their best behavior trying to take your order. 
and most everybody would walk in with Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever brand of coffee. So, I mean, the, the whole place was saturated, but I don't know. I think it was trying to be hip and it got pretty out of hand. I think it still is out of hand, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think that can be argued. I know I like walking in, I guess for me, coffee, a cup of coffee is somewhat similar to a cigar for you where it slows you down a bit and it's something that you sip on and enjoy and then bringing that into a Sunday morning service, it's comforting in yeah. a sense. Um, and it makes me, something you and I have talked about quite a bit are the differences because we're we're sitting in, in services drinking coffee and that's acceptable. You start thinking about the things that are or are not acceptable in a service or what is now compared to what used to be. And then the differences in, in church services, the, the evolution of things, which is a funny word when you're talking about Christianity, it seems like a contrast, but Darwin stole that. So you're good to <laughs> yes, go. It's a, it's a good word, but the differences even in, um, in, in music style, which now I don't know, I've heard you raise this good point. I don't know when we started calling that worship because it used to be uh, music. I don't know really what we called it or if it had a name. Everybody just kind of knew. We sang some songs before the pastor got up and preached and we had hymnals and there was a person who led and told you turn to Well, the, remember they were called the music minister. Okay. Well, if you were in a church of size, and I'm not talking about mega church, but you know the community churches that 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 you and I grew up group, in before yeah, it became we got to have five services and you know a thousand piece orchestra or, or band but yeah i think they they originally were i don't i don't even remember them calling them worship leaders maybe they did but it was the music pastor i don't yeah i think you're right about that i don't remember that either but one thing i've struggled with more recently is thinking it uh i guess indicating that somebody is leading worship. So it, it's supposed to be a time of worship and we're doing this through music. And then I, I'm, my brain functions in a way that's like, well, is this, why are we calling it worship? Because how can you do that on command? And is that really what's happening? And it old school was, a, you know, probably a volunteer, not even a paid staff member that somebody decided, well, he can hold a tune in a bucket. So Mr. Bell's going to get up and he's the guy that cracks open the hymnal. And as a kid, I guess my thought was kind of like, oh, brother, here we go. Well, sure. As, as kids, we don't appreciate or, or put value into the theology that you find in the old hymn books. I'll bet you that you're going to be hard pressed unless you go to a Presbyterian or a Methodist or Episcopalian church or, you know, something similar Lutheran where they actually find a hymnal today that actually has the hymns that you and I grew up uh, singing so often third and fifth and sixth stanza and heaven forbid at the end of a service never did all of them. Oh, I, every the once in a while oh, you just you want did? to, to get out, as a kid, and we're going to sing the six stanzas. And I'm like, oh, no, we are not. And my mom's giving me the look like, don't say anything. You never knew that that. And my dad's looking over at me, and he's giving me the eye roll. Trying to think of of some good names. What was the one when when the roll is called up yonder? Mm -hmm. 
I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll. <laughs> Some of those have more stanzas than you would ever realize. You're like, what? There's eight? There's kind of like the 99 bottles of beer on a wall. <laughs> oh, but I compare that to, there's parts of that that I miss because it's a, they're great childhood memories. I guess I could still think back and pick out the people that were doing soprano solos and doing right. some pretty wild stuff that right. you, even as a kid you could recognize, this is not good. But most of all, I look back at that time and realize people's sincerity, that they really clung to those words. They enjoyed the repetition of it. And I compare that to now. And for me, it's still a lot of, I do a lot of questioning and I don't, mostly I don't have answers, but I compare that to now and I see stages with lights and hazing machines and, and these very expensive sets and talented musicians that are dressed to the nines and they're jumping around and they know when to do things on cues and they're using in-ear monitors. It's extremely polished. They're playing to click tracks. It's a and- sissification of the gathering, what we call the church. No. I wonder if churches in years past have... You think, well, did they really give more emphasis and, and focus and place more importance on this time of music in the 1980s, for example? You know, if you had, I just remember the guy at, at Calvary Baptist in San Francisco. He was a, a super old right, and a volunteer. By no means was he a paid staff member, and I'm pretty sure they didn't even give him a love offering. And he just got up and, and waved his arms. And I'm certain he never took music theory. So in terms sure. of knowing that, open the hymnal. And well, but... but So now there's there's much more. There's emphasis. There's paid staff members. There's, there's hired bands. It's down... Um, this is really something you and I are going to have to, at a future show, talk more about this. Because there's so much to unpack in that. And I think one of the big differences is there is a shift that has taken place, which is we continually speak the truth of the gospel and the history and things that we need to be reminded of, of truths. And today we've turned the singing time, because I don't, I don't personally like to call it worship, but the singing time is how Jesus makes me feel. And I guess, you know how I got here is talking about bringing coffee into service, which is something my parents never would have allowed as a kid. And it's only more recently. That's what the fellowship halls for. Yeah. Yes. Always a weird room in the basement, but um, it's easier now in, in the painful process of, of finding a church and knowing that you want to be part of that community. One, figuring out the reasons, but two, I can have a cup of coffee in my hand. And why is it that during that, the times of discomfort or this music time that's supposed to be worship, I'm thinking, well, I'm more inclined to sip on my coffee than I am to participate in what's going on there. Um, And maybe it's because I feel a sense of manipulation that I believe wasn't present. Bingo. That's absolutely what it is. It, there is so much, and, and my I, I, here's here's where I'll, I'll reinforce what I'm about to say. You are right when you say that you feel manipulated because 
when you use lighting like you would during a stage play or the movies right on cue and you have the it used to be the organ but now it's it's a the keys or the guitar player and everybody does everything on cue you look at it and you know that it's a performance well, and and I really I, I we we could talk about this forever and I don't want to go sideways well, on I know it, uh, we'll move on it's I part of me loves badgering you on it, it because in some ways I feel the exact same conviction you do but then in other ways I know where I was at 5 or 6 years ago and I know exactly how to make the argument for why we're doing what we're doing in the church. Jesus did not manipulate people into believing and following. He didn't, but we're, we're using the, the arts and the talents that we've been given. The arts have been taking a taken away from us Mm -hmm. as Christians. And what we're simply doing is, is bringing them back and encouraging things encouraging high production quality and and things being well done because there there's no reason that because we're conducting church that we have to actually do things poorly so as not to draw attention to ourselves so we're reclaiming the arts and we're using them to further the gospel and doing it quite well well as i said a little while ago you and i could actually talk a very long time on this and and it would probably alienate a lot of people if I went down the road that I'm normally inclined to, gonna wait. to move to. We're going to wait to alienate yeah, people. Here's something <laughs> that I actually, that. let's, let's go back and talk about you starting in the radio business and how I came to get to talk to you as a kid. I went to church at a, a place called Valley Forth Memorial in that where I lived at the time in um, late eighties, early nineties. And a guy who was the assistant manager at a radio station in Spokane happened to go to the same church. He recalled a conversation with my parents that I had mentioned at some point, I think my sophomore year in high school that I had an interest in Media, uh, being, I, I was even thinking, man, it'd be really cool to be a news anchor. I had my sights set on that, but I was an extraordinarily shy kid and, and even into high school, like ridiculously shy and super cute though. <laughs> so this guy who worked at that radio station remembered that I had said that a, a couple of years after that occasion. And it turns out they were looking for an intern So he had probably gone through my mom. We didn't have all the access to easy communication, email, text, everybody had phones. None of that existed at that time. So the information traveled through like, oh, I'll talk to her parents and then they'll relay it to her. They were looking for an intern at KMBI, a radio station on the South Hill of Spokane. And he thought of me and would she be interested in coming and and learning how to do this? And of course, my, my first thought was, absolute fear because I'm the shyest kid that you could pick out of a a group of anybody to say you should learn a craft like being on the radio it it was the furthest thing well really from anybody else's mind that a kid like me would do but the the larger 
internal response for me was excitement. Like I actually didn't really have a clear direction of where I wanted to go after high school. And the thought of doing radio or being on the radio or learning that in a hands-on way was extremely intriguing. So I did start out as an intern at, at KMBI and I mean, I like to say quickly learned the, the ropes. Uh, I remember when they sat me down in one of the, the studios, the sound lock, they called it their, I, I don't know if you want to call it tryout audition. <laughs> they said, here's, here's some news copy and here's this uh, record recording machine. Here's the, the record button. Here's the microphone. Here's uh, turn this on and start reading this copy. And, and the most instruction that I was given was somewhere in the back of your mind, you know what a news person sounds like. So do your best and read it. So that, that was my very first pushing the button, turning on the microphone, and then hearing my voice recorded in that way and listening to it back. So, but I mean, from that moment, I was absolutely hooked. So I, I said, okay, I didn't have a clue. I know that I'm willing to work hard, but in terms of a direction or something that I thought would be interesting, that was that. And so I kind of figured out to a point enough of what I was doing that I could eventually fill in for some of the full-time guys. And the bit of trivia here, because this seems like way past the time that this should have happened, but it was a conservative radio station. Right. And I was actually the very first female announcer on that radio station, which is still Lo- locally, bizarre. Locally. Right. Because based they out had of, a network yeah, of yeah. stations, but this was one that was, yes, it was network owned, you were owned a and operated, but as a teen yeah. in the early nineties, mm-hmm. I was the very first female announcer on that station. So nobody could take that away from me all the years it progressed and the other people that they eventually hired. I was like, hey. I just <laughs> remember because I listened to KMBI so much growing up that when I heard you the very first time I was completely mesmerized first of all you have such an amazing radio voice that i have always greatly admired but how you just articulate the fact that you were this young female and you were articulate uh you had such talent that it 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 seemed like you had been doing it forever in 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 my mind and so that was pretty doggone cool and it it made me start looking at you (laughs) well that and that is part of the history in our story is that as kids you know i'm i don't uh i I will say i was 18 i guess i'm roundabout and dan you would call in and well i'd call in because you you would work the afternoons time the shifts would vary but but as i recall during the summer Sure. I was working construction, building homes, and I would hear you when I would drive home from work around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. So I always thought I had a favorite artist that I loved his music and they didn't play him a lot on the radio, but those days you could call and make requests. So do you remember in the days where you could actually get them to play because they had the full albums and I had an album, but I wanted to hear it on the radio. And so, but let's be honest it also gave me the opportunity to talk with you and we would have i don't know 15 20 minute conversations once a day well yeah these are 
back in the days, we didn't have cell phones, right? So I worked at a radio station that was pretty low key. And between, we're running network shows. So like certain other, there are certain other professions that are this way, but sometimes it's a lot of hurry up and wait until suddenly there's something needs to happen at the top of the hour on the hour and needs to happen very quickly. And then in between that, there's hurry up and wait. So this is, we're old school where you'd call up to the radio station because I'd have a block of time. I had an old rotary dial phone that I would call you. <laughs> now you're making us sound even older than we are. Than we are. It's what we had. It was a hand-me-down. So I asked you the other day, do you remember the phone number to the radio station? Because mm-hmm. it was one that I would have announced all the time. Mm-hmm. If you have a request right. or call KMBI at, and right. then the station right. number. I actually didn't remember it, but right. what? I, I remembered it. Yeah. But I remember calling you. Do you remember the first time I called you by chance? I'm not. I, I remember a phone call where, you know, I answer because I'm taking the place of the secretary at this time because I'd work at, at off times or they, and nobody the else nine to fivers. Right? Yes, the nine to fivers would be gone. So I'm answering the station phone, the incoming uh, music requests, but then also general requests that were coming in. So I remember taking a call one night and just this this deep voice on the other end that, that says, how did you get so good at that? <laughs> I don't know if that was the first time you called, but that one I've always remembered. Yeah, I'm pretty positive that was. How did you get so good at that? And I, you know, I'm like, who is this? And you know, I'm thinking, quit yanking my chain. Prank caller. You know what that reminds me of? What? Do you give autographs? Yeah. <laughs> kind of a theme here, huh? Yep. Well, I loved hurrying home. Because I was so drawn to how you conducted conversations. We were kids, we were teenagers, and most of our peers couldn't talk their way out of a wet paper bag. And yet you had a way with words, and I loved your voice. So, yeah, I was naturally drawn towards... I want to get to know this girl, which is funny because I knew your dad. We we knew each other for many years from from the church. And your dad, as you had said earlier, was a mentor. He was children's pastor and headed Awana. You remember Awana? Approved workmen need not be ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're I welcome. I messed my acronym up. And so your dad was somebody that, that I respected and, quite frankly, was a little bit fearful of. Now, funny you should say that because this speaks to your character in that other guys that I had gone to high school with, they steered very far clear of me. I mean, it could have been for multiples of reasons, right? <laughs> but they knew my dad. Mm-hmm. And I remember word getting back to me one time when a bunch of kids from our class got together on a weekend and I was the odd man out that didn't get invited. And what I heard later was the guy that had had the drew the straw to, to call Donna to come be a part of this thing. He's like, what if her dad answers the phone? The consequence of that was he was the, the guys were scared to death of my dad. Well, I respected <laughs> your dad. So plus I knew that I was always going to be respectful of you. So really, what did I have to fear other than the typical dad giving young guy a problem? Right. Given giving me the business. And they should. Remember when we called it the business? <laughs> 
But look, look, we weren't even, we weren't even dating. I mean, there was nothing inappropriate. We just, we had a lot of conversations and eventually they went in person. Yeah. But so what would you say that drew your attention all those years ago? And really when we were still both kids or, or teenagers, why is that important for anybody in, in a relationship when they're looking at the, the, the beginnings of meeting somebody? I mean, there's other things that attract you to people. How do you remove those things that kind of cloud your vision and come back to why being able to, to communicate with somebody, knowing that there's more depth of character to them? I mean, for you, it was a natural draw, but I think for a lot of people that doesn't that's not the first thought so their their vision is very clouded and you end up in some really unhealthy relationships but for us it's been a a foundational piece of why you know why we want to move forward in a successful way because we're able to like the inside is what matters more than a lot of the rest of it. Well, I'd like to say it's because I was of such great moral fortitude, but the reality of it was a lot of it was upbringing and personal relationship with Jesus. When you read through the word and you have the spirit, you know, you get those small, those small promptings. And and I think the spirit matures us, but let's make no mistake. I still was every bit a young teenage boy, right? Mm -hmm. But I just, knew from the man's code that I grew up by, you you don't do certain things, right? And so it was honoring and respecting uh, women. So, I, I mean, I don't want to paint myself as a saint because I definitely well, no, was No, I think it's funny not. now because I remember back and I, I think of you as a pretty stoic you kid. thought I was a nerd. Uh, yes, I thought I thought Come you were on. a nerd, but I, I'm I'm trying to be kind. I'm but why you have to describe why you thought I was a nerd? Well, oh, I now think you're my tongue tied. I think a little bit tongue tied. I think my time frame's a little bit off, but somehow I could tell that this was a kid. And how old were you? Let's be specific. Sixteen. When? Ish. When? Uh, I, what? You know, I'm At thinking Shopco parking lot. Oh, nah, 17. Okay. 17. So we're... Because I was working of... construction. I was building homes, apprenticing. And there was something about the way you dressed that, like, this guy... Wranglers and boots I, or... I don't know. I called you yeah. Indiana Jones. Because I wore I just, a brown cowboy hat. I didn't know hat. a whole lot about you. There was a certain kind of hat that you wore. A brown cowboy hat. And I was like, yeah, Indiana Jones or I, the, the cowboy or however look, I remember I have you. a great affinity for indiana jones so i'm not saying that that's far off but come on it was well, a brown for me wide those, brim cowboy hat at those time in the 90s the 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 guys my age were like into vanilla ice so which is horrifying but that was the case at that time so you were definitely a unique character that stood out differently from other guys that were my peers i was relegated to the friend box <laughs> he was friend zoned but uh so i remember you being this stoic kid and, and so kind and respectful and it's hilarious the conversations that we have now it, this is on the heels of you saying look i i'm not going to pretend i'm like pious and perfect and, right. and that my motives right. were exactly perfect right. so what you've said to me now is like 
you, know, you were so interested in conversing with me and you saw that I was different from other girls my age, that we actually had something to talk about. I had a head on my shoulders, whatever it was. But you're like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I totally wanted to make out with you and all of that. Well, I mean, look, <laughs> young, young men. Yeah, I mean, you're at that age where you want to find love. And when we grew up, finding love meant finding somebody and getting married and, you know, starting your 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 life and so i think you know i was always observing looking towards girls you know is this a potential but yeah i mean i was i was definitely drawn to you but you and i never made it to the point of we never went on a date nope yeah i didn't unless you call the shop co parking lot well, it's pretty. It's pretty sweet when you when you uncover those memories. Now, it's pretty sweet. But no, I think we both know that we realized at that time that that's not that was. It was just. It was a genuine. You know, you were were so extremely thoughtful, and I didn't give enough consideration really to how thoughtful you were even in then or what it meant. But they were very fond memories for me. And it wasn't too quickly after that. We both, you know, life took different twists and yeah, turns you, and we you, were on. You moved halfway across the country. Yeah. Basically, so, when I just was getting close to probably asking you, hey, you want to go out and... Right. And you just didn't. Well, didn't because, well it wasn't because I was trying to... I, I was trying not to move fast, right? Yeah. But though that is the mystery to be revealed that we won't do right now, but it's a mystery to be revealed that we had that, we had that in common and, and never dated. We never did. But I went such to fond, such yes. fond and comforting memories, honestly. Yes. In, and in, innocent. And, and it was perfect because it was incredibly innocent. Yes. I mean that that is I I cling to that to this day because it it that is what makes it all the more special. Right. And then to 25 years later, which is the mystery to be revealed. Yeah. 20 something. It wasn't quite 25, but No, I I It was off, it was close enough, yes, yeah, rounding up. And we met on a night that I was actually not expecting to really even see you, but I found myself there and was not even going to come and talk to you so i was sitting across the street smoking that mighty fine ring gauge 66 60 ring gauge uh it was a six inch brick house maduro and it burned for an hour because i was waiting for you to play and i had no belief that you were even going to know who i was or even remember me because i don't do facebook yeah and i'm playing out of out at a an outdoor venue, a place in Coeur d'Alene. And I had ended my set. This place, uh, because it was outdoors, they started a little bit earlier and ended earlier than typically, you know, a lot of times musicians play later. So I'm... Wait a second. Very, I thought you said you weren't going to reveal everything this, I'm not, this time. I'm okay. not revealing I'm, everything. I'm, I'm, but here's... There's one part I'm getting to because we alluded to it just a yes. little bit ago. I'm packing up my stuff... Uh, my gear back into my car and it took a few trips. I'm out there by myself. It's dusk. And it dusk now, the sun had just set over the summertime. Mm-hmm. But really perfect weather Warm night weather. by Lake Coeur d'Alene. And 
so I'm, I'm making the first trip to the trunk of my car with some of my gear. There's a guy leaning up against a, a post pretty near my car. And he says, do you give autographs? Do you give autographs? And I just, I mean, you described the look. You gave you me the it. most disgusted look like what in the world is your problem? Yeah. And you kind of laughed. Your well, your typical laugh. Because I, yeah. Your I, nervous I have, laugh. I have a giggling problem, which we've done. So that's as far <laughs> as I'm taking that story. But because I had referenced a little bit earlier, you know, we were talking about cigars. And then I'd referenced the, the hey, this is reminiscent of the do you give autographs. So to think, it's a bookend to something that was in the earlier 90s. Yes. With calling a radio station yes. and saying, how did you get so good at that? Yeah. Versus nearly 25 years later, here's a character that shows up in my life asking me if I give autographs, which I knew full well. He's not serious. <laughs> Whoever this is, to be continued. To be continued. You've been listening to Unspoken, a production of Retro Crush Media. The song is Make the Day Mean Something by Double Play.